The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. If you'll remain standing and turn in your Bibles to our scripture, our sermon text this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Taking a couple of weeks away from uh, the sermon series, but we return picking up in chapter 12 and verses 33 through 50 to the end of the chapter. And so let's look to God's word and worship him by giving careful attention to its public reading this morning, Matthew chapter 12 and beginning in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, who can speak, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned." Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's, let's pray together and seek his blessing. Lord, we do come to you indeed, and we pray and ask that you would come and work in our hearts this day. Father, open up our eyes that that we might behold wondrous things from your law. The Queen of the South came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Help us this morning to look to Christ and to find in him that one who is infinitely greater than, than Solomon or anyone or anything in this world. Father, may we then run eager into, unto him and be willing to receive and to hear and to believe and to obey his blessed voice this morning. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. 
Well, as I said, we've taken a couple weeks away from Matthew's gospel here, and you may recall that that where we left off, we left off in a place which in some ways we might describe as as somewhat of a, a dark place, dark in the sense that it was one of those difficult texts, not easy to understand, those words about the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I'm quite content that it fell to Pastor Holst to preach that, that text, but also dark in the sense that we find there some of the most uh, sobering words of warning in the Scripture. I mean, what, what could be worse than, than to think that you're in the place where you've con- committed sin that will not be forgiven. But of course, as always, God's wonderful light shines amidst the darkness. And Pastor Hull showed us how that, that warning came in that context of Matthew's gospel revelation of the, the Messiah who was that. And we heard him described as the, the chosen, spirit-filled, tender, caring Savior who brings justice and hope to the nations. Yes, it's true that either we, we gather with him or we are against him, but isn't it marvelous the way this chapter here concludes with our Lord's description of those ones who are indeed gathered with him, around him. Nothing could be worse than to be his enemy, but friends, what could be better than to be those who, as our Lord describes them in, in our text, are my brother, my sister, my mother, to be the family of Christ. And what I'm going to suggest this morning is that we really are learning about what it, what it means to, to be and to live as the blessed family of the Messiah all throughout this entire chapter. We, we learn about it by way of contrast with those who are here challenging Christ. I want to suggest that that's what we're taught this morning. We're, we're taught about the family of Christ and their good fruit. That's our message this morning, this passage teaches us about the good fruit of Christ's family. I want to unpack that message by simply noting three things about Christ's family members. We're going to note this morning that, that number one, out of Christ's goodness, they produce good. And then secondly, that they are content to receive Christ's signs And then lastly, we will see that that they will rise up with Christ at the judgment. So let's begin then with that that first point. Out of Christ's goodness, they produce good. Again, we learn this by way of contrast. Contrast with what we are without Christ. And we see that in verses 33 through 37. Some some commentators actually see those verses as going together with the the, the previous section beginning in verse, verse 22, the question is, how could these religious leaders commit such an unimaginably horrendous sin of, of attributing the good, spirit-wrought works of the Messiah, attributing those works to the, the devil? Well, Jesus answers that question, doesn't he? He answers that question by taking us to the very heart of the problem, as the old saying goes, the the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. These ones are indeed a brood of vipers, but that's not just name-calling. This is a description of what they are by nature. They cannot speak good, for they are evil. They're they're stored up in their hearts in, in infinite and unimaginably great treasure of wickedness, and it's out of that abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Last time, Pastor Hulse asked the question, who in the world could reject 
a savior like that, meaning like the, the one we just described, this kind, compassionate savior we see in this text. Well, what's the answer? Only those who are totally depraved, only those who are wicked to the core, fallen, depraved in every faculty of their persons. And friends, we do well to remember this morning that such is exactly what we are, every one of us, by nature. Who in the world would reject such a Savior? You would. I would. Apart from the grace of God working in our hearts. This is what we all are by nature. We are filled with evil. We speak evil. And that's a particularly sobering truth in light of what what, what Jesus says in verse 36. That on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. The Lord really broadens the scope there, doesn't he, in terms of what exactly will be judged. It's not just the super heinous sin. It's not not only the sin of the blasphemy of the, the Holy Spirit, but every word. We're not to think of, of any words uh, as being harmless, right? Idle, careless, casual speech. We're not to think that, well, words don't really matter so much. I'm sure I've probably shared this illustration before, but it takes me back to my time in Africa, working among the, the Karamajong people. They were a cattle-raiding people. Their culture was filled with violence, with, with, uh, with, with killing. Even so, I was shocked to see how easily they could let slip out of their mouths the threat of murder. And so I was involved in conflict among some, some folks that worked with our mission. In fact, one brother, a brother who was even a member of our church, had said in his anger to a sister, he said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And later when she told us about this and I confronted him, well, what did he say? Well, we, we say that, right? The Karamajong speak that way. We, we don't really mean it. I suppose it's not so different from the way our children sometimes respond when we confront them about something evil, something nasty that they've said, and they say, oh, I didn't mean it right. I was just joking, just joking. We can all act like children that way, I suppose. But our Lord teaches better, not only better than to act that way and to speak that way, but to so justify our speech as if it's harmless and, and, and not serious. Our, our Lord teaches us, verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words reflect what is in the heart. And by nature, every one of us has a heart that's filled with murder. What hope do we have this morning? Only Christ, only the Savior. Again, praise God that this is, this is part of Matthew's revelation of Jesus, the, the Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. Praise God that, that Jesus is that one who never once spoke a careless or an idle word, that even his good works spoken in this text, they're part of that, that perfect righteousness which he worked out for our benefit, that righteousness which we needed, that righteousness which is imputed to us by grace through faith. Jesus was willing to speak truth and righteousness even to these wicked leaders of Israel, even knowing that for it they would take him and they would have him crucified. More than that, Jesus was willing to himself to come under the judgment of God and pay the penalty for every careless word as well as every great and heinous sin which you or I have ever committed. Indeed, all the sins of all who would ever trust in him. And talk about good fruit 
the fruit of his finished work, his death, and his resurrection, his ascension under the throne of David, the fruit of his, his finished work is the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out the same Spirit which anointed him unto his perfect obedience. That Spirit has been given to us. That is the grace revealed in our text this morning. Don't miss that this morning, brothers and sisters. This, this passage teaches us not only about bad trees with bad fruit, Jesus teaches about good trees which produce good fruit. He teaches about the good person who out of his good treasure brings forth fruit. Of course, ultimately, that's Christ. Christ is that, that Psalm 1 blessed man, that, that good fruit producing tree. Jesus is the true vine, isn't he? Where God had planted Israel to be that, that vineyard, his people, and they were to produce good fruits, and instead they produced only evil fruits. But Jesus came and he said, I am the true vine. I am the faithful one. Jesus is the true vine. And we who belong to him and who, who abide in him, we are the true Israel in him. With, with Matthew's words in this, this text about the spirit and about the heart, surely Matthew is showing us that Christ is that one who fulfills those, prom- those uh, prophetical promises which the Lord had made, promises of a new heart, promises that God's own spirit would dwell within his people. We think of Ezekiel chapter 36 and other places. Promises of, uh, that, that God's people would be his true sons and daughters, Hosea chapter 1, children of the living God. Hence our Lord's words back to the end of our text about which ones are truly his brother and sister and mother. What a marvelous thing we have. This is one of those passages that ought to have us marvel the way that the Apostle John did in 1 John 3, verse 1. Marvel at the love of God. See what love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. We are the family of God. We are the family of Christ the Son of God, and we are called accordingly to do the will of our Father in heaven. Well, how is it possible? Well, it's possible because that chosen, spirit-filled Savior dwells in us by his Spirit. The Spirit is called the Spirit of Adoption. One way, uh, I think, to think about what what we see in our text this morning, verse 35 Think of it this way, okay? The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. Well, is not Jesus himself the great treasure, the great treasure of God's infinite goodness? And Jesus, by his Spirit, dwells in us. Do we not in Christ possess a treasure sufficient, a treasure of sufficient goodness to bring forth in our lives fruit, goodness, which will please our Heavenly Father. Is Christ not a sufficient treasure for you this morning? That by His grace you are not enabled to, to go forth and do the will of your Heavenly Father in Him? Out of Christ's goodness, let us indeed produce good. And we'll think more about that in connection with our, our next point. The second thing we note this morning about Christ's family members, which is that they are content to receive Christ's signs. I chose that, that word content, kind of by way of 
contrast, again, with the religious leaders. They were not content with the signs they were receiving. They came and instead of asking for, demanding a sign. But as we think about who we are, as those called to be the family of God in Christ, I think it would be better to say content and eager. Christian, are you not, not only content with but, but eager to receive the signs that is, do you, do you joyfully receive the Christ, the Messiah, whose, whose messianic identity was, was attested to by these signs? Here I'm focusing on that, that second section, verses 38 through 42. Again, I'm stating the point positively by, by way of contrast with the, the religious leaders who come sinfully asking for a sign. Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Why did Jesus bring such a strong rebuke of this request? Why is it evil to seek for a sign? Well, I suppose one answer to that question is, 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 is that the covenant people were at times happy to benefit from God's miraculous works. They were happy to, re, to be blessed by the signs in that sense, but they would do so without those signs, those works, moving them to trust and love and obey the Lord. The signs did not move them to repentance of their sinful unbelief. And so we can say it this way. At, at times, the people would seek after the signs, but they would not seek after the Lord himself. That was a terrible problem, of course, during the wilderness generation, and it continued to be a problem even up to Jesus' own day. We might think of John chapter 6. The the people, they were very pleased to benefit from those feeding miracles, right? They were happy to fill their stomachs with that bread, but they did not feed by faith on him was the, the true bread who had come down from heaven. And I think the point of the warning which Jesus gave, particularly in, in verses 43 through 45 of our text, uh, is very much connected to this idea. So we're warned there that a man might very, ben- very well benefit from one of Christ's signs. He might have a, a demon driven out him only later to be replaced by seven more. Those are interesting words we have there, a bit hard to understand. As, as one, one commentator notes, that the point here is not to give a detailed manual on demonology and about, on exorcisms. I'm not going to get into the details there in, in that regard. But don't miss the warning here in the context. Kind of like, like last time, if you are not if you are not with Jesus, you are against him. There is no neutrality. And not every person who had demons cast out of him or her came truly to know Christ. Not everyone who benefited from the work of the Spirit that way truly came to be possessed by the Spirit, truly came to be born of the Spirit. The demons may have been gone, but when that that void was not filled with the Spirit and was, was not replaced by true Christian discipleship. Well, that person was even worse off than they were before. If we're not seeking the Lord, then we are against the Lord. And certainly that's, that's illustrated in these religious leaders seeking a sign. It's, and, and it's not, not simply that they weren't seeking the Lord. They were actually seeking the Lord in order to destroy him came to Jesus with, with sinister motives. Notice in verse 38 that's not just the Pharisees, but at that point they're actually joined by the scribes. The scribes were the, the legal experts in the law. Probably they were 
What they were hoping to do was to be able to see a sign up and close, right? Have a ringside seat at a, at a, a sign performance in order to be able to scrutinize it and, and come up with some legal ground for accusation against Jesus. And again, what makes this especially evil is the fact that they did this in this context in which Jesus was providing all kinds of signs. We saw that, that, that great sign last time, verse 22, the healing of that, that demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute. Again, these were wonderful signs giving abundant proof that this Jesus was the Messiah, the son of David. And how do they respond? Jesus compares their response to him to that of the response of the queen of the south to Solomon. So we have Solomon typology. We also have Jonah typology. We'll leave that for a moment. But the queen of the south, who was this queen of the south? You remember this one? This was the the queen of Sheba. We read about her in 1 Kings chapter 10 and 2 Chronicles chapter 9. This was that one who had, had heard about Solomon heard about his greatness, his wisdom, and all of his wealth. And she came. She came, unlike these religious leaders, not to attack, but to bless and to be blessed by Solomon. And here Matthew shows us that, 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 that Jesus is the, the greater than Solomon. The greater than Solomon had come. The signs of Christ were proved that he was proof that he was the greater son of David. He was the God-man, Messiah. And that makes what we see in this chapter all the more appalling to to accuse him of being satanic, as we saw last time, and to take those blessed messianic signs and seek to use them against him to destroy him. Friends, if this, again, doesn't illustrate our last point, do you see the wickedness, the evil, the sin, and do you see, once again, that this is a picture of just exactly what you and I are without Christ. Oh, how desperately we need Christ. Let this move us to praise and to thank our God for the wonder of his grace. Let this move us to say with John Newton, we are great sinners, but Christ is a great Savior. And let this move us to be those truly who seek him. There's good application for us this morning. If the Queen of the South came from the end of the earth, seeking the wisdom, seeking the, 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 the blessing, seeking the presence of Solomon. What will we be like? What will we be like here in a new year? Will we make it a, a priority in our lives? I don't know, to, to get ourselves out of bed early enough in the morning to, to have that time to, to be on our knees in the presence of that one of whom Solomon is but or was but a type to think that this very one who is indeed that chosen, spirit-filled, tender, caring Savior, the one who brings hope, just, hope and justice and hope to the nations, to think that he invites you, dear Christian, to come and be in his presence, to live in his presence, not only to be content with, but to be eager to receive the signs, as it were, that is to receive him, to, to live in fellowship with him, to live as those who, who meditate, yes, on the signs and all of the wondrous things that God has done. Let us indeed live as, as those who seek him, as those who seek his glory. And one day we will see and we will enter into, into fellowship with him as he is revealed in all of his wonderful glory 
And that brings us to our last point this morning about the good fruit of Christ's family, which is that they will rise up with him at the judgment. Again, I'm stating this, <clears throat> stating this positively uh, by way of contrast with those who, those who remain against Christ. This is certainly a warning uh, to them. The greater than Solomon, king of kings, will one day come, and he will come as the judge of all of the earth. And sadly, they will not rise up with him, but they will come under his condemnation on that day. Consider Matthew's Jonah typology here. And, and we might note this, by the way, this, this chapter with its three greater than statements has, has kind of completed a trio of three greater thans. Jesus is, back in, in verse 6, we were told, greater than the temple, there's the priesthood. We're told he's greater than Solomon, there's the, 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 the office of the prophet. He's greater than Solomon, greater than the king. He is the greater than great prophet, priest, and king. Well, consider the Jonah typology. Jonah's three-day of experience, experience of being swallowed up and in the belly of the, of the fish and then coming out of the fish as a, a symbol of the death and the resurrection of Christ. But now it's interesting to consider the point which, which Jesus makes about that in verse 39. He says that no sign will be given to an evil and adulterous generation which seeks for a sign. No sign. No sign except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. What does this mean here? I mean, in, in, sense, in one sense, how could Jesus say no signs would be given? Abundant signs had been given. They would continue to be given. There would be plenty of signs. I think on one level, this, this might speak to the way that this generation, because of their unbelieving response to Christ, would be given over to their sins such that they would not be given any sign which they might truly see. They would see, but they would not truly see. We'll see in the next chapter how how Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in this generation. Seeing, they do not see. This brings a, a general warning about those who refuse the gospel. Sadly, there are those who do not see, that is, they do not see spiritually in faith, and they never will until Christ comes again. Christ comes again in glory. The sign of of Jonah is not only about Christ's suffering, it's about his resurrection, and it's about his coming again in glory. And for many, sadly, that is the only sign that they will ever see. He will come again, and at last they will finally finally see it. They'll perceive it, perceive that Jesus truly is the true, the, the great one. He is the king. They will see his greatness. They will see his glory. But at that point, it will be too late. The people of Nineveh repented at his preaching. Well, what will happen to those who refuse to repent, refuse to repent in response to this greater prophetical word of Christ himself? They will see I think we can say they, they will see the sign of Jonah in that for them, Nona's Nineveh preaching message of destruction will at, uh, will at last come to pass. And so this is, a, this is a serious warning that goes to any who have not responded to the gospel, who have not believed. But see it, friends, this morning, not, not, not only as a, as a warning, but it's such a kind invitation 
The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have abundant, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. We praise God that, 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 all, that for all who trust in Christ, for those who are the family of Christ, that we will, will find on that, that day that he is, he is not against us. He is for us. He is with us. We will rise up. That's an amazing thing. Rise up with him when he comes in judgment. I think the idea here is, is not simply that the, the biblical testimony of the Queen of Sheba and of the repentance of the people of Nineveh, it's not only that that biblical testimony will serve to condemn those who have refused Christ. I think that's, that's true, but it's more than that. I think that this goes along with what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. The saints will judge the world. We don't know exactly what that will look like, but we know that, that we will be there with Christ. And just think about that. What a blessed thought. There together with it, that queen of Sheba and the people of Nineveh who repented, and you and I and all who have ever believed, we'll be there with Christ when he comes and he judges the living and the dead. We'll be there giving our amen, yes, as he condemns the wicked. That, that, that is a sobering thought. But in closing this morning, looking again at the, the conclusion of our text, it's one that should encourage us to embrace Christ, to delight in knowing that we are, we are indeed counted as his spiritual family, even amidst a world that opposes him. We know that this gospel we embrace is not a gospel which is well loved by the world, we live in a world which either mocks our belief in God, or if they do believe in God, they, they basically would like to think of him as a God who, who winks at sin, and in the end of the day, he'll throw up his arms, and he'll just let everyone into heaven, right? As long as you're basically a pretty good person, sort of, right? The world mocks the idea of the need of a sin-atoning death and of a true bodily resurrection of Christ, and of the idea that he will return in glory. They hate the notion that he will come and he will judge the world by this gospel. They hate the idea that, that his, his true children are only those who embrace the Savior and receive his word and seek to live in obedience to his commandments. The world hates that message, and they will uh, seek to intimidate us and pressure us to compromise that message or at least keep silent about that message, right? It's fine to have your faith when you're gathered among your people in church, but don't you dare try to bring it into the marketplace of ideas. Don't you dare to expect to, to have your views to having any kind of influence on society once you walk out the doors of your church, leave your faith behind you. To, 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 to such intimidation, how shall we respond? Let's not respond vengefully. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. And we're reminded this morning, Christ will judge. Christ will judge and we will participate in that judgment on that day. Let us not seek vengeance now. Instead, it ought to move us to compassion 
and to concern for the lost. We ought to pray for them as we seek to share the gospel with them. But brothers and sisters, let us never be intimidated into silence or compromise. We are not the ones who ought to fear. They are the ones who ought to fear. They are the ones who will have to answer to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And on that day, they will see. We may be the ones counted as the fools in this world. Fine, let us be the fools. We are fools for Christ. And on that day, they will see we are not fools. We are the family of Christ. We are beloved sons and daughters of God in Christ Jesus. In that hope, let us press on living as his beloved sons and daughters. Let us be zealous to do the will of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Yes, Lord God, we long for that day. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Father, we long to see your glory. We, we long to be brought unto that, that glory of the sons and daughters of God. But, Father, please help us to live faithfully as your children. Even now, help us to walk in the wisdom and the prophetic word of our blessed Savior, greater than Solomon, greater than Jonah, Grant, O God, that we might esteem him greater than anything in this world, and that by your Spirit conforming us unto his image, that we might delight in walking as he did all of our days. We ask for this in his name. Amen.